Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Alex Pruitt. Alex, what's going on, man? Like you, I'm very upset that we scheduled it this time. We can't catch the end of Buffalo, Arizona. I know. If I uh, if I sound sort of you know vaguely distracted and distant and not really responsive, it's because I'm uh, I've got a picture in picture going on here. I'm uh, I'm trying to focus on the game while also doing this conversation with you. So it's that time of year, man. This is the uh, this is the most exciting time of the season. We got some playoff races. We got some tank battles. I mean, everything's happening in the NHL these days. Oh, sorry, I was watching. <laughs> I deserve that one. <laughs> it, it's been a good excuse, actually, for me to go back and watch uh, Rasmus Dahlin hi- highlights. Mm. And uh, my goodness, that's going to be really fun. Yes, yeah, for whichever team is lucky enough to uh, Edmonton to get that first overall pick, uh, all the losing this year is going to be worth it. Um, yeah. So, it, what, what would what would cause the most consternation? Uh, Edmonton, Chicago, Chicago. Yeah, I was going to say Chicago would be up there for sure. Um, probably, those would probably be top two, right? Would the Rangers be third? Yes, although you know you could kind of make the argument like, oh, it's kind of good karma for how they handled this year in terms of you know just being out and uh, coming out in the open and being transparent about their intentions and with that letter to their fan base and everything. Like you could sort of make the argument that it's not necessarily deserved, but that. You know, they're kind of quote unquote doing it the right way. Whereas if it was Chicago, uh, first time missing the playoffs in 10 years, uh, I think people would be pretty upset. And same with Edmonton, obviously. Yeah. Doesn't, um, Dolan plays with the Lundquist's brother, doesn't he? In Forlunda? I think he does. So just, just tra- transfer over. Yeah. I, I, I should know that. I mean, we do have a shout out to, uh, we have a pretty big Swedish fan base of the PDO cast. And so everyone listening there, uh, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm that's right. All right. I just looked it up. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Phew. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what would, what would be the most, you're a storyteller. You, you, you write these stories. Um, what will we'll be, will be the most poetic story here for, for landing spots. Cause obviously, uh, with Arizona and Buffalo, you could sort of make the argument that, you know, they missed out on McDavid and especially with Buffalo, they really tried to bottom out with that first overall pick and kept getting second. Um, I don't know with the Canucks, it's sort of whether the Sedins come back or not, kind of continue that Swedish lineage. They desperately need a new face, of the franchise, like, 
I don't know. What's what, what would be the best story for you in terms of writing a full sort of profile of his landing spot? Ooh, Ottawa would be really fun, wouldn't it? If only if only for what that means for sixty five. Mm, yeah. Um. Because you, I mean, you assume he he gets there. You know, they they would pick him what a week before free agency opens, a week before July one. Um. Or you know, does that factor in uh, to their decision? I don't know. That'd be that'd be super interesting. Um, How about this one? I just thought yeah. of this one. Well, actually, I thought of it a, a while ago, but it just popped back into my head. Um, what if the Islanders hey, wanted? What if the Islanders wanted with Calgary's pick? <laughs> and then their pick wound up being second overall. And then they had the first two picks, and John Tavares resigns, and all of a sudden we've got ourselves we're, we're cooking with some. And then Garth Snow still and, doesn't and do anything else. Both of them, yes, for for Eric Carlson. No, you just move down in the draft. We're going with a value based approach, and they're just going to acquire fourteen first rounders in the next two years. Ooh, I do like that. Mm. Although careful, careful. I've heard when you have uh, three picks in a row in the first round, it might not work out so well. <laughs> it's foolproof. Yeah. Um, okay, so. Speaking of the Coyotes, uh, you and I are both watching them play this riveting matchup against the Buffalo Sabres today. Um, you had a chance to talk with their general manager, John Shaker, recently. I believe it was your most recent piece that's appeared on Sports Illustrated, and you had a nice little sit-down Q&A with him. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's just get into that, because I feel like I haven't spent too much time talking about the Coyotes on the podcast this year, but... They've had I can't a imagine why. Well, I mean, they've had a sort of interesting season. Obviously, starting off zero, oh, oh, 10 and one. Um, they can't yeah. buy a win now. They're sort of providing hope and optimism, I guess, moving forward because they're actually playing pretty good hockey. But is it going to come at the cost of their lottery odds? And so it's been a bizarre year there, but it's not short on storylines. Yeah, no, it's it's certainly not. There seems to be a little bit of drama, and, and you throw know, you throw their building in there too, and what's going on with ownership and. Um, they got a new president or what a new sole owner this year um yeah there's a lot to pick at there um you just talk to people around that organization not just john um i think the party line tends to be that if uh they hadn't been so banged up the beginning and and they had gotten um any semblance of of uh, even average goaltending i think to ming when he was in there was like an 856 um for like seven games so um they think that they they'd be closer um Probably not in the mix, but um, maybe you know ten, ten or so points more points higher than they are right now, which would put them uh, probably above Edmonton in the conference. And um, I think that they're actually quite fine where they are right now for the reasons we just discussed. Um, uh, if if they end up getting the Dolan pick, then incredible. Um, if not, then you know still more high end assets you can build off of. Um, and at the same time, you're gaining experience. I think Strom had a golden night. Um, you know, some of their other young guys are being put in advantageous positions, and um, you're gelling with a first-year coach in Tockett, who they they clearly believe that he's the guy to um, you know steer this rebuild. But from talking to, to John Chica, um, it was interesting when I called him. He was at the Diamondbacks facility, and he just finished a meeting with um, some front office officials over there, and he was kind of talking to them about. Um, you know, everything from, you know, training practices to, you know, health and performance stuff to, um, they got into like some simulation talk and, you know, just comparing, uh, you know, simulations and the variables that they have in baseball to what, um, Arizona, the coyotes model have in hockey. Um, so I, you know, he's, he's a fascinating character to me. He's the youngest GM, right. In, uh, in league history, but he has a monumental task ahead of him. And, um, you know, he was optimistic when I talked to him, I think, uh, these, this past month or so they've. Um, been winning at a pretty solid clip, and it's been encouraging. Their, de- their defensive core has been um, what they expected to be at the start of the year. Um, 
you know that they have money i think they have some they have some cap space in the offseason some guys to sign you know whether ronta or, or you know domi if they bring him back um but at the same time he he did hint that they they might have some moves still and uh still to make and um i think you know the trade deadline they were pretty quiet a couple of depth moves you know getting darcy kemper and mm-hmm. uh etc and um just kind of nibbling around the edges and i think that's probably setting up for um them to be a little bit bigger players either in the summer or entering next year um when when this really kicks in um and you know we do, don't we say that every year though i mean this was supposed to be the year that uh, it kicked in and they were uh starting to contend but um I think things are trending in, in the positive direction there. I think I think they're doing this the right way. I think they're smart not to have deviated from the plan and not to have uh, blown this all up. So kudos to them for patience, at least. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that, you know, them finishing the year strong is going to carry into next year or anything by any means. But, like, if you do look at how their season unfolded, especially with that losing streak to start the year and the fact that I think they were relying on Ranta to be the goalie he's proven to be in the second half here. And he, I think he started one game and then, like, he got either pulled or he came in relief in that Vegas home opener that was just completely fell apart right away. And then he basically got injured and the goalies that replaced him just weren't up to snuff and in today's NHL it's really tough to compete unless you're getting at least sort of some baseline level of goaltending and now we look in 40 starts you look in Ranta has a 925 save percentage and you wonder if he was around all year especially to start off how differently their season would have looked and whether things would have spiraled out of control the way they would have I don't necessarily think that this what 13 5 and 3 run if they beat the Sabres here is necessarily indicative of what they're going to be moving forward but I don't know, there's probably some middle ground there, and I think that based off their moves they made this summer, that would be a step in the right direction just because it's clear that they want some level of respectability and to not be a laughing stock of the league anymore. Yeah, and look, everything's going to come down to what uh, what they do with Ekman Larson and how probably how much they extend him for. But, um, I mean, if you, you're moving forward, he he's probably going to get protection on his next deal, I would assume. Um, and you're... Your top four is pretty much locked in a place there with you know him, Golagoski, these highest paid guys, Golagoski, Halmerson, and Demers, who have a couple of years left. Um, but that, they're they're pretty good, and then Chikrin's Chikrin's coming on. Um, I think he's what nineteen years old. I mean the the building blocks are in place there. Um, I just looked it up. Ronta's been a nine thirty six this calendar year. Um, so since uh, since giving up four goals against Anaheim on New Year's Eve, he's been a nine thirty six save percentage. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know he's probably not that, but he's he's certainly not a guy who is yeah giving up. Um, you know what? Three goals on like five shots against Vegas in that second game of the season, either. So, right. um, I think they want to bring him back. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as it carrying over, I, I think maybe not results wise, but I think it's it's probably important to be putting these these young kids in in, in you know NHL situations, right? I would think. I mean, you might as well. Um, we we gripe about this with other teams. You know, why not just let the kids play, let them figure it out? And um, I mean, it's a free pass. It, nothing really matters from here on out. So you might as well get them in and. Um, if if they win, great, good for the confidence. If they lose, great, good for the lottery balls. So, I mean, having spent time with John, and uh, I'm assuming you call him John on a first time basis after doing such a lovely Q and A with him. Um, well, I don't know. What, I don't know what else I should call him. Like when I'm referring to him here, you know, he's my age. Yeah, I was gonna say, are you older than him or younger? Um, I think I'm younger than him by like a year. Here? Oh, there we go. Yeah, I guess you could call him Mr. Chaika then. Um, the it's kind of interesting because obviously um, I don't necessarily even think of him as a quote unquote analytics guy per se, but I guess he is a bit of an outsider just from the perspective that he's younger and he didn't play in the league or anything. Right. So it's like, 
I think people are quick to jump on the Coyotes whenever something goes wrong. And when they were losing early in the year, everyone was pointing to them as another example that analytics don't work in today's NHL and this and that. And I don't know, it was just always a bit weird to me considering that if you just looked at all their moves they made this summer in particular, like those weren't even necessarily like analytics moves. They were just bringing in actual NHL players. And I don't think anyone was quibbling with it at the time. And then when the results didn't come with them, all of a sudden everyone was like, ah, see, it obviously doesn't work in, in, in this league. So I don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm just trying to f- figure out what's going on there and why there is that divide. I, I, th- I think it is that, that he's not part of that old boys club, so to speak. Yeah. I, I think part of it is, is we have, um, a pretty basic understanding really of, of what teams are doing analytics wise. Um, you know, because analytics and, and public discourse gets thrown around from anything from, you know, very high level tracking and, um, and crunching of numbers to, you know, simple shot attempts, um, and division. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that factors in, um, to their equations, but you know, stuff like simulations and, and, um, projections of, of draft prospects and you know valuations of picks and stuff like that. I, and we're not really sure what models these guys are using um, or if they're using them at all. Um, I, I certainly think that they are in Arizona. Um, he seems you know very forward thinking in that regard. And um, actually, the way the way you kind of phrase that, I, I was curious. Like, what do or do you think we're ever going to get to a point where, um, or soon will we get to a point where uh, you know analytics and uh, not having played in the league are synonymous, you know, like being an analytics guy, does that mean therefore that you're an outsider or are we going to start seeing, um, you know, people who are quote unquote inside the game be labeled as analytics people? Because like, that's, that's what you should do. I mean, you should, you should take that stuff into account. You should be looking at analytics. It's foolish for you not to, if you're in a position of power in, in any sport or um, anything really. Um, so at what point do you think we might get there? Well, that's an interesting question because I think it is, it has to do with sort of how you control the message and sort of how you come across with what you're saying in the media. Cause I don't know, like the other team we can lump in here is the Sabres, for example, when you're talking about the worst teams in the league over the past couple of years. And, you know, Tim Murray took a lot of crap for sort of his methods and, you know, he comes from the Murray family who have been in hockey forever. He was a scout for a long time before he took over this job. So he wasn't necessarily, you know, an outsider by any means, but he was considered more of a progressive analytics forward thinking type. And he took a lot of crap for that from people. So I don't know. It's interesting because then you look at the Canucks, for example, and I wrote about this last week, they've actually been the worst team in the league the past three years, right there with the Coyotes and the Sabres, but no one really thinks about him that way because a, they've never openly sort of tanked and admitted that they were losing to get higher draft picks and B because they were run by Trevor Linden and Jim Benning who are both quote unquote respected hockey people. And I think that that goes a long way in terms of having certain segments in the media on your side. I still think it's sad, but I do still think we're at that point right now. I mean, we're still in the infancy stages of this stuff. I do wonder what, what will happen or what the, the discourse will be. Um, depending on what happens there in Arizona. Like if, you know, say this doesn't work in a couple of years and check is on his way out. Um, does that then become a total referendum on, you know, so-called analytics? And, you know, are we taking a couple steps back? Because, I mean, in those situations in Arizona and, you know, Buffalo, it might be some false equivalence. Like, analytics probably didn't get them to be bad. They were just bad. And, and it right. just, you know, it, it speaks to how difficult it is, really, to, to get out of that hole in the salary cap era. I mean, you have to hit on your prospects. You have to you have to make trades. And I think, uh, you know, Chayka has done... He's been pretty aggressive, right? Hasn't he made more trades than any other GM in the league since he came in? Um, so he's certainly certainly mining that avenue. But 
um, I mean, look, it's it's pretty darn difficult to get out of the cellar, and um, you know the the frequency of you know the times we see Edmonton in the top five and picking, and you know Arizona and Buffalo, I think, speak to that. So, um, and even Vancouver. So you know we're they're stuck there. Um, but you know, it, reading the tea leaves, it seems like uh, Arizona's at least on the right track. Um, I mean, you compare it to basketball, right? With I, I think Chaikin has done a good bit of research into what Sam Hinkie did in <laughs> in Philadelphia and trust the process and all that. Um, I mean, it now seems like he's right, doesn't it? Yes, and obviously, you know, just because it doesn't work with one team, for example, is not. I think that shouldn't be a referendum on the entire process as a whole. But like, even though the lottery odds still have skewed, I think it's it's just like simple math that if you're gonna be bad, you may as well increase the likelihood of getting the top pick like it's i don't i don't understand how that's an issue like you know everyone pride. Po- well everyone points to edmonton and buffalo and it's not working and it's like well how do you think that the pittsburgh penguins and the chicago blackhawks got good do you think it's they were stuck in mediocrity for a long time no they completely bottomed out and sucked for a while but then they got generational talent and got lucky obviously you need a bit of that as well but those are perfectly fine examples of things working out and i think those franchises have benefited from it so totally and, and actually one thing that stuck out when i talked to john was um you, know, you kind of used the phrase like diversification of your mm-hmm. risk basically that um you know you you, you want you, ideally you know you get a dollar and you change the course of your franchise or you get a Sidney crosby or you get a patrick Kane or a taze or whatever um and everything's great but uh you know you have to hedge you also have to hit on you know the mid-level picks that you acquire you have to um you know surround them with with useful players um, cost effective useful players who um you know can play in the middle six for instance or who can play on the second and third pair and can support those guys in the locker room and um, help them adjust to life in the nhl as well so um yeah i mean look a lot a lot of variables but uh you know it's not necessarily like an all-or-nothing approach i think you can you know slowly climb the ladder but um gosh it certainly helps when you can just take a big leap because you got one guy at the top yeah and obviously i I think uh to pull it off correctly you sort of need total buy-in from ownership and you're gonna have to swallow a handful of uh really miserable seasons and you kind of need to stick with that process rather rather than kind of giving up halfway through or trying to half-ass it and so i guess we'll see how it goes in arizona but they're definitely a team to watch um is there anything else on the coyotes and, and and john that you wanted to talk about or uh can we move on to something else? Oh, let's move on. That's plenty of time. All right. Um, so we, we're going to naturally ship, pivot from uh, from the Coyotes to the Florida Panthers here. Uh, we're really hitting <laughs> hitting all the uh, all the NHL hotspots. Um, oh, hang on. Let me get on my computer then. This is well. You know what? This is this is what the PDO cast is all about. We're giving we're giving uh, uh, data. The, we're giving the quiet few um, the topics that they that they want to hear about that they're not hearing about on. Uh, on the radio programs. Um, what does so, that speak to me that, that I'm the only one writing about it then? How about that? I love it. Honestly, I, uh, I don't want to blow up my, uh, my editor or my, uh, or the process that goes on at Sportsnet. But if I pitch, uh, stories on the Panthers or the blue jackets and stuff like that, it's, it's met with a lot of indifference. So I'm, I'm glad that you actually get the freedom to write about this sort of stuff. Well, I don't know about you. Florida's pretty high on my watchability rankings right now. Mm. I mean, it's, it's really because of their top six. Um, there's not much else. I mean, and Luongo, I'm very much enjoying Roberto Luongo this year. Um, but my God, I mean, watching Barkov every night is, I think that's probably where you wanted to go with this. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, just such a treat. Some of the things that he does, the way he, he's able to carry the puck through the neutral zone. Some of the, I mean, just talking to the guys on the team that, 
I mean, there's there's a reverence there with him, and um, not only how hard he works because it's you know it's very Yager esque and show up late at night and um, you know wear the weighted vests and all that, but um, you know also like really really crafty and, and smart. And um, I forget who it was one player is telling me a story that he he was working and practice on um, making passes by seeing reflections in the glass, or at least he was checking it out to see how viable it would be during a game. And like that's that's the kind of thing that. I think, you know, only a select few guys in the league. Like, Nick Backstrom here in D.C. strikes me as a guy who might think about that stuff. But um, that Barkov at this age is, um, you know, he just seems to be hardwired like that. And, uh, you know, what a, you know, if Florida is going to turn it around, if they are going to make the playoffs this year, I really would love to see, um, you know, like a Tampa-Florida first-round series and see Barkov go up against those guys. That'd be super fun. Yeah, those two teams played, uh, I believe, like a week or two ago, and it was a really exciting game. Tampa Bay won in overtime. But yes, no, it's yeah. it's, it's it's funny because with Barkov, I feel silly saying this because he's been in the league for only a couple of years now, and he's still only 22 years old. But it's like, ah, finally, this is the year he's sort of you know fully breaking out and realizing that potential. He was awesome the past couple of years, but. You know, he's finally stayed healthy. He's over a point in game now. It feels like he's kind of becoming that type of player we've all been talking about him quietly being for the past few years and at least coming more on the mainstream radar. Uh, he's, as you noted in your story, I mean, he's playing over 22 minutes a game this year, which for a forward is obscene. And I believe, uh, as you noted, Marty St. Louis six years ago was the last forward to do so. So, you know, we don't see this very often. And you talk about his work ethic and his ability to prepare for such a crazy workload and obviously sort of the engine for this team. But, you know, we talk about the Coyotes and sort of their first versus second half splits and stuff like that. I mean, I was looking with this Panthers team. At the all-star break, they were a minus 26 in goal differential, and that was just six weeks ago. And now, you know, there's 17, three and one since then, plus 27 goal differential. So they're back in the positive. And it's remarkable that, you know, they have this big game coming up on, on Thursday night against the Blue Jackets and they do still have a couple games in hand, but it's kind of bonkers that they're still technically on the outside looking in and could conceivably miss the playoffs with how hot they've been. And I think that'd be a shame because just based on the way they're playing right now, um, you know, they'd be really fun and they'd be a very tough out for a really good team like Tampa Bay if they were to meet them in round one. I agree. Um, I mean, they're, they're very deep up the middle, especially, um, you know, I think if they, they've been kind of flittering with, with Bukestad, putting him on the wing and back up the middle. Um, but I really like what, what Dadanov's given them on the wing um, coming in this year. Um, but I mean, Barkov and Trochak is a, a pretty nasty one-two punch that can, um, you know, not only attack you, but but also does a really good job retrieving the puck from the defensive zone and playing low um, below the hash marks is with, with those guys as uh, kind of the first forward in there on the backside. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, I think the defensemen have, are coming around. I don't think Ekblad uh, had the best year last year, um, but he certainly looks like he's playing better. At, same with Mike Matheson as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to, to go back to Barkov's workload, you just, I mean, look at the, the minutes he's shouldering. Um, I think he's around, like, 40% D-zone draws or um, at, uh, or 40% in the offensive zone, excuse me, um, at even straight this year. So um, he's, getting the, he's getting the tough assignments. He's getting put out there um, in defensive situations. And um, I think that's a smart move on Bob Buckner's part um, because it allows Barkov to do what he does best, which is, um, which is carry the puck and uh, – you know, some of the ways he's, he's able to like kind of knife around guys in the neutral zone. And, um, I mean, just almost have to let him go at some point and just, you know, his teammates can just be pylons and then just trail. Cause he's pretty much going to take care of the rest. Well, it's really funny. Cause I was talking to, uh, 
my old uh, my old boss at Canucks Army and now the uh, oh, yeah. now running uh, the PR for the Panthers, Thomas Drance, uh, friend of the podcast, and uh, you know he was he was sort of telling me like someone's got to write about the job this coaching staff has done and how they've turned the the season around for the Panthers, and so obviously I did a little bit of digging and looked into it, and you know it's really interesting in terms of um, the adjustment they made where they split up Barkov and Huberto. And they yeah. stuck Huberto with Trocek on the second line to give them two legit scoring lines. And more importantly, sort of just resuscitate Vinny Trocek. I mean, early in the year, he was just getting murdered playing with guys like Redeem Verbata and Jamie McGinn. And now all of a sudden, you know, you have Dadanov with Barkov, you have Huberto with Trocek, and they're just riding those top two lines. I mean, what, they're obviously they, they play together a bit on the power play and, and, and so on and so forth, but it's like 22 minutes a night for Barkov and 21 and a half for, for Trocek or something. I mean, that's. Yeah. When's the last yeah. time the top two centers for a team were, were shouldering that big of a workload? I mean, that's that's something else. And, you know, we'll see how viable it is as an option moving forward and whether they run out of steam here a bit. But it's clear that this team has a lack of depth and it's an interesting approach to just be like, OK, we acknowledge that. And instead of trying to jam a square peg into a round hole, we're instead just going to ride the hell of our top guys here and see how far they can take us. And obviously it helps having both of them be under 25 years old so they have fresh legs and are able to handle it but it's interesting yeah and, and by all accounts i mean workout animals like trocek is right there um with barkov i think there was, it was early in the year i think that they might have gotten wax in some game or something like that or, or one of those two guys didn't have a particularly good game but um you know they did the go out on the ice at like 11 p.m in their track gear and start shooting um and i don't think that's particularly uncommon for Barkov to do, but um, I, I think Trocheck's you know kind of latched onto him in that way as well. Um, so they certainly seem to be uh, wired pretty similarly. So, which is to say, I think they can probably handle it. Yes, yeah, no, they, I'm sure they can. And and you know, uh, Drance was was quick to point out that this coaching staff is uh, isn't making them do morning skates and is limiting practices and uh, is is trying to do everything they can to keep those guys fresh for game time. So it's it's going to be fascinating to see how their final ten games or so here unfold. And you know, another guy we haven't really mentioned yet is is Evgeny Dadanov and. I have a, a funny little story. I have to admit, where I'm in this uh, long time fantasy keeper league uh, with some yeah. high school buddies, and um, you know, pretty much everyone in this league is owned. It's super deep, and we get into the first uh, sort of waiver deadline or whatever of the season, and uh, Shipashov and, and Dadnov are the two main guys that are kind of available <laughs> as the big free agents. And I just like spent like all my money I could on Shipashov. I thought he was going to be great this year, and um, it turns out I made the wrong choice there, Alex. Didn't didn't we all think he was going to be an awesome fit? Didn't we think he was going to be like their best player this year? <laughs> yeah, and he like looked good in preseason. I was like, oh, there's going to be opportunity there. Like, why wouldn't he just play a ton and rack up the points? And uh, right. wow, <laughs> that could not have gone differently than I expected it to. Here, here's something with Barkov and Dadnov together: um, 706 minutes, 55 seconds together, time on ice at five on five this season. You know, by far his most common line mate. I think Huberto's second. Um, and they are plus 13 in goals, basically 60% goals for right. um, at 5-on-5 five five together. I mean, they they got something cooking. Um, very fun to watch. But, um, you know, as has been the case in years past, I think it, it probably comes down to depth. It probably comes down to um, can you get scoring from maybe a third line so those top two guys um, you don't have to shoulder as big of a load, um, you know, when you're going up against the depth of, of say, a Tampa Bay. But um, you know, I like I like where they're at. They seem to be that team this year where um, everyone says, you know, if they if they can sneak in, watch out. You know, kind of like the Kings have been um, past years. That you know, if they can sneak in, watch out. Um, and if not, uh, you know, okay, 
I guess we I guess we'll watch New Jersey and Taylor Hall's not a bad, bad consolation prize. Oh, if only this Panthers team could get their hands on some guys like Jonathan Marshall and Riley Smith and all of a sudden they'd have some depth scoring depth and maybe they'd be a really dangerous team. But you know, it's that's improbable that a team like this could ever get guys like that. I don't even know where you would find guys like that. I don't I mean they're rarely ever available. I don't think you could I mean that no one would definitely give you one guy for free certainly, just to take the certainly, other. Certainly yeah. <laughs> certainly no one ever gives them away. That seems crazy. Um <laughs> And you mentioned Rulu Luongo there. Let's give him a bit of love, too, because, you know, I was writing today about um, how I think Pekka Rene should be the Vesna trophy frontrunner, and I was looking at the candidates, and it's a weird goaltending year, and, yeah. you know, Luongo and Flurry both um, aren't going to be in that discussion just because they don't have enough games played. Uh, you know, Flurry's at, like, 40, and Luongo's at 28 now, I believe. Yeah. But, man, both guys are just having, especially for Luongo, I mean, he's approaching his 39th birthday here, and he's hovering around a 9.30 save percentage for the season, which is pretty remarkable. And the guy just keeps, he's just aging like fine wine. I mean, it's, it's, you know, obviously he's such a great guy and everything um, that happened this year and, you know, the speech he gives before the game and how he's played since then. But it's, I'm, I think everyone should be rooting for him. And it's kind of awesome to see that he's, he's stepped up and, and done this well when he's been able to be on the ice. It, it does at least anecdotally feel like we're in the age of like the old grizzled, goaltender right mm-hmm. like Luongo's having a heck of a year um last year we had Pekka and Anderson in the conference finals and um Lundqvist obviously made it to the conference semis and um you know Flurry's I think pushing what he'll be 34 uh during next season so um I mean the aging curve for goalies is clearly you know, it's later than other positions it takes longer to develop and um I think therefore they can play later but it is interesting seeing um you know, some of these older guys, I mean, rest probably helps, um, for the long I'm sure that's, that's probably not the worst thing for him that he's, uh, not playing 60 like he has in the past that he's, right. you know, probably only going to get up there to, you know, like what in the mid thirties by the time he gets in the playoffs and has to go every other night. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and, and as well, I, yeah, I would like to say, I mean, that speech brought tears to my eyes. Um, right. I'm sure that was a very, very mm-hmm. powerful moment for him and, you know, kudos for the way he handled it. Cause, uh, you know, I for as amazing as his Twitter account is, I wish also wish he was in the spotlight a little bit more. Um, I had a chance to talk to him a couple of years ago for a story, and um, you know, he is certainly one of those personalities that uh, the league needs more of. But um, maybe it doesn't come out as much. I wish, uh, yeah, it's people know that uh, you know he's a hilarious guy, and he definitely uh, feels very comfortable sort of taking shots at himself and not taking stuff too seriously. Um, I mean, I've been in a fantasy football league with him for a couple of years. Um, Oh, you're in that? that? Yeah. I was going to say about that. Oh man. I wish you could, I wish you could do like an oral history on this league and just write everything. And I will definitely contribute to it, but obviously (laughs) it would take like him consenting on it, but it would just be, I mean, he's so into it. It's hilarious. I mean, you just like when, when you're playing him that week, just He's, he he just gets so into Wait. it. It's just amazing to me that he's that fired <laughs> up about it, and so it's, he's, he's such a nut. Apparently, he does countless leagues, and he's like crunching the numbers and doing all the research throughout the summer. And yeah, I mean, he's he's just quite a character. I I did I remember asking him what he did in his spare time, and his answer was sit on my couch and play fantasy football. Wait, does does that mean that if you like went to your phone, you? Hmm. Well, I don't know how those would uh, play in terms of. Um, him being cool with me playing them and also with uh translating into a, a written medium but yeah they'd be, no uh, but like those exist though yeah 
Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, like, he's he's hilarious. I mean, and, and like during the draft, the message boards and and everything. Yeah, it's. Uh, how it's did you get fun. in this? Because it was like random at start. Did you get like an invite? Um. So what happened was, I believe he started it while he was still in Vancouver here. And he sort of did it with like a bunch of local sort of people that were just on Canucks Twitter and uh, bloggers and everything like that. And I, I believe he started two leagues and then he was sort of an A league and a B league and you do like a relegation type of thing. And uh, it's pretty competitive oh, and it's fun. really fun. Yeah. And he, he's super into it and very responsive. Like if you're ever trying to make a trade or anything and it's like it goes into the NHL season and he's still on top of it. Like it's great. I, and I don't want anyone to, uh, to spin this as Luongo is not focusing enough on his craft and he's spending too much time during the season worrying about. Oh fantasy my football. God. Yeah. That's what, what hogwash. It looks like call of duty. Joel Embiid plays yeah. like, yeah, you're not allowed to have other hobbies. It's all hockey all the time, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be on your couch doing butterflies. Mm. Um, Okay, let's uh, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we will. I don't know. We've done the Coyotes, we've done the Panthers so far. What else? What else? We'll, we'll talk about the Blue Jackets next or something on that. Other end of things. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy them, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with your friends, or need to find the perfect gift for someone in your life, SeatGeek's going to help you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek's going to help you get closer to the action for a great value. Um, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I use it all the time. Um... I do not use it to go to any Canucks games because I don't really wish to torture myself like that. Um, I do, however, use it all the time to go to concerts or comedy shows or, you know, if I'm out in Toronto or Portland or something like that, I always go check out a basketball game. Um, and that could be you as well with just a couple taps and a few seconds. Um, SeatGeek's going to do everything for you, uh, regardless of the event you're interested in going for. They're going to basically scour the internet, uh, find the best seats that are available at the best values, grade them out for you in this super easy-to-use color-coded heat map, and you just pick whatever's in your budget and where you want to sit, and you go from there. It's really that simple. And the best of all is, uh, as my listener today, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, I lied. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Blue Jackets. Um, I'm going to do. Well, blue- I, I I really want to buy that product and or service. <laughs> I can I can testify. Uh, yes, yes. Thumbs up. Five stars. Uh, both of my thumbs are in the air. Yeah, um, it's actually well, it's SeatGeek. So uh, tickets to a Columbus Blue Jackets game. They're playing. Oh, I actually, I actually well, did so. buy. I'm going to see Wizards Knicks on Sunday. Oh, there we see. go. Did you use the promo code PDO? Uh, yes, you sure. did. Obviously, you did as a, as a loyal listener of the show. Um, let's talk a bit about Alex Ovechkin because he recently scored 600 goals or his 600th goal. He hasn't scored 600 goals recently. Um, but it certainly feels like it based on the year he's having. And, you know, you've covered him pretty closely having covered the Capitals on a full time basis in the past and you wrote a th- little piece about it and his shot and sort of what makes it so special after he uh celebrated that milestone um it's remarkable to me with him and with the other top scorers in this league that they're able to get as open as they are in certain instances like i understand sort of the free-flowing nature of hockey and with like line changes and 
transition and all that. Like, it's impossible. It's not like basketball where you just have man-to-man and you're just following a guy all over the court. But when you watch, I mean, especially on the power play, that goal he scored uh, the other night against the Dallas Stars, there's just no one in his vicinity. And it's like breakdowns like that. How I would hate to be in the video room after with Ken Hitchcock just being one of the culprits there. It's like, how do you leave this guy that open? To be fair, that one that one was off a of face-off, but mm. to that end, uh, I would probably keep a guy around the, screw him. Co- yeah. Screw covering the dot. Just you need to go sit. You need to go. You go over there, and you need to sit in his jock strap and make sure that he doesn't wind up. Mm-hmm. Um, it it does though. To me, it feels like um, he does. This is not a, a, a. I'm not trying to intend this to be a knock on him, but he doesn't. It doesn't seem like he does a heck of a lot of uh, as much, at least, getting open as other guys. You know, he's not. He's not that sneaky guy who's like. Um, you know, kind of like picking in blind spots and dashing low and, you know, he's able to kind of muck around the net. He he really does one thing extremely well and it's shoot the puck. Um, And he does it with people in his face. He does it with when he's wide open uh, and he mostly does it from that left wing. Um, And it's, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I was getting into with the piece was, um, you know, so much of what makes him dangerous happens like after the puck comes off his stick. It's just the way he shoots um, so that, you know, regardless of what position he's in, he can just be kind of floating and then he can just kind of uncork one. And, uh, you know, you see that, for instance, off draws and how many goals that he scores or how many scoring chances he generates just because of how you know quickly he can kind of drag that puck in on the move and, um, you know, snap it through a lane. It's uh, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable. I never get tired of seeing him um seeing him generate but you know at the same time a lot of it is just uh you know he's there in the left face off circle and they know he's going to be there and the puck comes there and they know it's coming to him and they know he's going to shoot and no it's in the back of the net anyway but that that's sort of kind of bold like in your face like i do this totally. so well that i'm just gonna be here and you know exactly what i'm gonna do and good luck stopping it you probably won't be able to is it makes it like even more impressive to me in a sense like i can appreciate a certain level of craftiness and uh ability to you know reinvent yourself and do different stuff to get by but also that sort of just kind of overwhelming uh force of nature that he is is remarkable and you know you watch a lot of these there is a lot of side to side movement and especially when they're really cooking and backstrom's fighting him across that seam uh, it's really tough for the goalie to come across in time but there are certain times where like the goalie's squared up on him and he's just beating him with that shot as you mentioned and very few guys are able to do that in this league like i feel like regardless of the shooter and the goalie, if the goalie is squaring up on your shot and can see it, it's probably going to be saved. Like goalies have gotten that good in today's NHL and with Ovechkin, uh, sometimes it just, it just doesn't matter. Like the goalie can be right there and it's, it's just going to go past them. And it's always kind of flummoxing how it happens, but it happens so often that you have to give credit to where it's due. And it's not just a random one time thing or anything like that. Right. Not all the goalies suck that much. Yes. Um, Someone close to Ovechkin, when I was doing that story, compared him to Mariano Rivera um, in that he has a fastball, he has a cutter, and that's really about it. And, like, you know you know, in the scouting report, you're getting one of those two pitches, um, and, you know, it's probably coming, if you're a righty, it's probably diving away, and uh, if you're a lefty, it's probably coming hands in, and um, it's, it's you're still batting, you know, 0-90 against him. Um because just of how well he does it. Um, and I, I think that's that's pretty apt with Ovechkin. Um, you know, a lot of it's just, you know, a lot of it is raw power. Um, but, you know, there are other guys who, who, you know, hit the puck harder than he does. Um, you know, he's not winning the hardest shot contest every single year, even though I think we kind of expect him to be putting up these crazy numbers. It's not necessarily just like sheer force that's, um, 
you know, getting him to blow by these goalies who, as you said, are pretty squared up. It's, um, you know, the way it comes off, it's some of the deception that he has and uh, the way he releases the puck or some of the action that we talked about. Um, you know, the inspiration for that story was Holpe. He was um, very eloquently, as he put it, uh, talking about, you know, the the draw on Ovechkin's shot, that it's almost like a golf club sometimes where, it, you know, it kind of like it like frisbees and the disc, uh, you know, it's not flat in terms, kind of angles on its side a little bit, almost like, you know, when you overhand throw a frisbee. Um, and it kind of, you know, like parabolas to the left or something. That's a little bit what you see on Ovechkin's shot a lot more than other guys. Yeah. No, it's it's super cool. I guess the question here is, uh, you know, how long can he keep doing this? It's 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 happened a few times now where we sort of expect him. Okay, you know, he's he's shown that he's kind of human. He's had a bit of a down year, and then all of a sudden he comes back with his vintage A game, and it's like, oh, maybe he can. Keep, it, it, it just I can't even at this point envision a world where he's not at least scoring like thirty to thirty five goals, which is remarkable. And if he keeps doing that for a handful of years now, all of a sudden we really start you know, talking about how far can he take this thing in terms of overall career goals. I know you wanted to ask about him, so I looked up two stats for you. Oh, bring in the um, heat. Alex Pruitt. I like it. Yeah, well, you know, trying to prepare. Um, one, since he's entered the league, he has 372 even strength goals. That would rank seventh on the total goals list. Mm. So you so you take away all those blasts that he has. Um, I mean, it's like 226 of them. Right. Um, everything really that he's known for uh, which is, you know, capitalizing when uh, the other team has a one fewer player. Um, and he's still top 10 in goals <laughs> since he entered the league with even strength. The second is he's currently sitting at, um, I think, uh, 0.61 career goals per game. Um, and among counting guys who were basically like born after the 19th century, or yeah, basically born in the 20th century. So not, you know, um, people playing in the 1917s and whatever. Right. Um, there's the only the list of people who have averaged point oh point six oh goals per game. Man, I'm really stumbling through this. Are Gretzky, Lemieux, Bossy, Bure, and Ovechkin. So not bad company. Um, and to be doing it in this era, as you said, goalies are getting better. Uh, Technology is getting better. It's uh, you know time and space is getting smaller. Um, to be doing that, I I don't know how long he can keep it up, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he has another like two or three more years of forty left in him. Would you? No, I wouldn't, which is, and I, I would say that about very, very few guys. Um, but, you know, I was reading another story you did uh, a while back about Brent Burns and, you know, the shot volume of his and sort of the kind of getting game planned for and the adjustments uh, that are made around the league with teams sort of knowing their tendencies and what they want to do and how you as in turn, it's like a game of a back and forth game of chess and then you need to figure out what you're going to do as well. And with Ovechkin, I mean, it's as we as we alluded to, it just he like everyone knows what he's going to do and he still does it. I remember what was it years ago now where in a playoff series, like how Gil slowed him down and then Dan Girardi slowed him down. It's like, Oh, there's, you know, the script on how to, how to slow down Alex Ovechkin is out. I think everyone's going to be able to follow it now. It's like, no, it's been like seven or eight years and he's still scoring 50 goals a year. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's hard to stomach too putting a guy in his hip pocket and playing four on three on the rest of the ice when Nick Baxter's running the power play. Like that's not a great alternative either. Um, so I think, you know, shutting him down is possible, but um, you know, I mean, there are noticeable differences in his game. I think he's certainly back checking harder. I think he's, um, got a little craftier on the net and I think he's, um, you know, going there a little bit, a little bit more often to, to kind of look for rebounds and, uh, you know, use his strength as opposed to, you know, just slinging pucks from outside, which he does ex- extremely well, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Holby talked about there's, uh, he, he's, hasn't, you know, uh, 
he hasn't gotten on top of as many shots. He's not clubbing as many high and wide, which, you know, if he does that and then it rims around, it's essentially a turnover. Um, it goes all the way back into your zone sometimes. So um, I think he's, he's done a better job getting more on net. And um, look, he's, uh, he's leading the league in shots. And um, actually, I just looked. I did not notice that. He's pretty much uh, at his shot total from all of last year in uh, like nine fewer games. So um, seems to be getting the shot off, uh, or at least hitting the net at a, at a better pace this year, too. Yep. Yeah, no, I uh, completely agree on that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, what's. You live in Washington. What are. I remember last, I time, I, last time I had you on, um, I sort of asked you for what the pulse is around there in terms of how the season's going and sort of after everything that's gone through and losing to the Penguins over and over again in the playoffs. Um, like, just what's the vibe like in terms of. Is it. Are people still capable of appreciating what's going on here, or is it all like, ah, oh, well, let's see what happens come the postseason? Yeah, well, this is a really interesting year because last year was the year, and the year before that was the year. This is not the year, at least on paper. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be the year. Now, wouldn't surprise me if they win just because that's hockey and crazy stuff happens all the time, but um, I don't think expectations are necessarily high in the playoffs. I don't think there's the doom and gloom about having to run into Pittsburgh as there was last year. It was very clear, like, whoever wins that is probably going to win the Cub. Um, you know, this year it's, it's a little more up in the air. Um, I think they're, they're pretty clearly at best, what the fourth best team in the conference, right behind Tampa Bay, Boston and Toronto at this point. Um, and then you can quibble for position in the Metro in general. And, um, you know, I, I know some of their, their shot differential metrics are pretty atrocious this year and, um, they're giving up a lot more shots per game than they have in the past as well. And, um, you know, the goaltending is kind of a question right now with Grubauer getting a little more reps and Hopi and, um, you know, net, net, you look into the future, and they got to sign Carlson after this year. They got to sign Wilson after this year, assuming they want to go those routes. And um, you know, the core is is pretty much staying the same. But I think it's pretty clear that um, you know, staying the course if if they do get bounced, say in the second round by a familiar opponent again. Um, very curious to see what Brian McClellan does because I mean, as has been reported in recent weeks, he got extended, and Barry Trust did not. So um, at the very least, you're probably looking at having a new coach behind the bench and. Um, you know, whether you do something drastic with the core, um, remains to be seen, but, um, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think people are getting their hopes up around here. Let's put it that way, because, um, you know, once you do that, uh, it generally goes, the, the, generally goes one way in this city, or at least it has in the past couple of years, not just with hockey, but other sports, um, so I feel like there's there's probably a little bit more fatigue. Just trying to get into a re- reverse jinx situation. It's like this clearly is not our year, and then it'd be so NHL if this is the year for them. Actually. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm I'm fully banking on that to happen. And mm-hmm. look, like like city curses are falling left and right now between Chicago and Cleveland. Like Washington can sure they can be up next. I don't know why not. Yeah, why not? Um, okay, one more quick break here, and then we're gonna wrap up the show on the other end. I'm sure some of you have seen by now if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, but for those of you that haven't seen any recent pictures, I'm uh, tentatively bringing back the beard by popular demand. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but the plan right now is to at least grow it back out a little bit for the playoffs and go from there. It's only been a couple of weeks so far, but I'd be lying to you if I said that the comeback tour didn't feel pretty good. Here's the thing, though. Uh, I think there's a general misconception out there among some people, uh, especially those who haven't had big beards before that you know rocking the beard is 
it's done because it makes your life easier and it saves you time. And I guess that could be true if you're going to go with the sort of unruly uh, abomination of a look that's covering Patrick Lyonnais' face region right now, for example. But if you are like myself and you take your look seriously, uh, it's important that you're practicing proper grooming habits and that can take time and effort. And anybody who knows me knows that I feel very passionately about this, uh, especially when it comes to neck beards. I feel like hockey players in general are very poor about caring about that sort of thing. Uh, I'm looking at you, Braden Holby. Uh, you're good at stopping pucks, but man, you are an egregious offender in that department. And that's where Harry's Razors comes in a mix because they're all about making sure that you're looking like your freshest self um, at a low cost with no real hassle. Um, I made the switch myself to them a while back, and it's been a pretty seamless process. Basically, how it works is they send you the goods straight to your doorstep and keep it coming so that you're never left cutting yourself up and butchering your pretty little face using some uh, crappy, dull, off-brand blade from your local drugstore. Harry's is so confident that you're going to join myself and the 3 million others around the world that have similarly taken the plunge and become users of theirs that they're willing to give you a free test run to try it out and see for yourself. And they're going to do so by sending you a trial shave gift set that's valued at $13 for free. That includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Listeners of my show can redeem that trial, sh- trial set for free at harrys.com slash PDO. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash PDO to redeem your offer and let them know that I send you to help support the show. Now, let's get back to said show. All right, Alex, let's... um. Let's kind of look ahead here. You told me that you are working on something about uh, Zidane Chara. Um, how much? Give me, give me, give me, give me a little yeah. nugget off of that. I don't want you to spoil the full okay. thing, but okay. Um, I'll try. To, yeah. All right. Let me think of something um, that I don't think I, I followed it recently. I'm, I spent some time with him. Um, the best of my knowledge, I, I don't know if he's ever really had a reporter over to his house, and I had a chance to spend some time with him while he was babysitting he had twins a couple of years ago mm. um, well his wife had twins um and he was on babysitting duty they had just turned two which was a, a very fascinating experience to um be with Zdeno Chara as he's babysitting um because not only does he you know babysit like you'd expect Zdeno Chara to babysit in that he can you know just pick one kid up in each hand and just kind of lug him around um but you know he was he was very focused when we were talking and then he would you know quickly pivot and change a diaper and then uh, answer another question about you know his plant-based diet and then quickly pivot and have to go handle like a temper tantrum or something um but i mean what what stood out to me and and i kind of went into it trying to answer the question basically how is this happening how is a a 40-year-old defenseman the oldest defenseman in the league by three years the, the tallest player in league history in this era of youth and speed still somehow at the top of his game, um, leading Boston in time on ice before he got hurt. Um, you know, not a liability. Like, you know, I think maybe people at the start of his career would have, uh, well, certainly they wouldn't have projected him to last until he's 40, but, um, I mean, he's really reinvented himself over the course of his career, you know, starting from, a uh, kind of a more of a fighter with the Islanders to a puck off the glass kind of guy in, in Ottawa to, um, I, I think a six-time Norris finalist in the top three in Boston, which is, is truly remarkable and a, a no-doubt Hall of Famer. So uh, my task was to kind of figure out, like, wh- how is he approaching this this final stage? Um, and I guess the, the overarching answer is pretty much the same way he's approached his entire career, which is with a, a tremendous amount of detail and attention to detail and um, a curiosity about, uh, you know, not just, in, uh, not just from learning from other hockey players, but, uh, you know, some of the stories of him 
you know, hitting up other cyclists and going to the Tour de France routes and riding those routes and then, you know, sticking around and trying to find the bikers and talking to them and picking their brains about, you know, nutritional supplements and training techniques. Um, you know, people, people know those stories, but, um, it, it was interesting just to see it up close to see his process. Um, cause I mean, boy, it, it is a no joke. Uh, you know, talk about a reverence like with Barkov, there's, mm. <laughs> Everyone in that locker room has a story about, you know, either the first time they saw Char in the in the lot in the weight room, you know, two hours after the game ended, or, um, you know, his his agent told me a story. I think when he was in Ottawa, they had gotten bounced from the playoffs last year, or one year, and um, the next morning, his agent calls him up and um, he's like, "Hey Z, what are you doing?" And Zdeno had just it was like 9 a.m. and he had just gotten done rollerblading with his wife because, as he put it, he wanted to work on his stride. Um, so he's like, he's, he's a guy who's, who's literally always working. Um, there's kind of that Yager intensity. One person told me that the hardest they've ever seen Charo work was when Yager came in for the playoffs that one year. Mm. Um, and there was almost like this unspoken competition between like two workout legends getting after it. Um, just kind of pushing each other that way. So, um, so yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it doesn't make sense. On the other hand, it makes total sense that, that he's still going at 40 and, um, I mean, he told me, he's told people in the past, he wants to go until he's at least 45 people around him say they, they're pretty sure he's going to get there. And they're pretty sure he might go beyond that too. Did you, uh, did you consider having a line in there? It goes like, uh, so they know Chara races his baby's poop. Like he erases opposing attackers or something like that. <laughs> I guess I, did you, did you consider, consider, do you consider putting that one in there? I mean, that would provide a nice little personal element to it. Oh man, baby's poop. I this, like see, that. this is this is this is why you get paid the big bucks to write he, these stories. He he uh, he he clears uh, he, he wipes away uh, fe- baby feces like he clears away traffic in front of the crease. There we I've go. I've never I've never seen uh, someone else get away with more cross checks. <laughs> and I mean, if you go in front of him, he's probably just going to just check you right in the back. Right. Um, and no one does a single thing, which I granted, you know, what are you going to do? You know, look up and try to swing at him. Of course not. Um, but just like some of the, the clout that he has in, uh, 10 situations and look with some of the guys they have on that team, 10 situations tend to abound. Um, but he is like the ultimate policeman. Like you just, all you have to do is just get one look at his glare and you're like, okay, no, we're good. Um, he's here. Uh, I'm out. I'm not bothered with this anymore. Let's, let's just move on with the game. I love that uh, his his Instagram feed is just uh, it's it's so charming and wholesome. Like it's just showing just so much personality that you wouldn't necessarily know just from watching him on the game because obviously it's much more stoic and menacing. But it's it's kind of cool seeing that other side of him. I'm sure you got to see more of that hanging out with him in person. Totally, and and that's a side I think that um, is is slowly coming out the past couple of years. He's a very private person. Um, people around him suggest that that. You know, probably goes back to his upbringing in uh, communist Czechoslovakia and, and just kind of the privacy that was valued there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's been interesting. And, and, you know, not just like pictures, but, uh, you know, very lengthy captions and, and kind of ruminations on life and, you know, the meaning of like mothers. and uh, Yeah, he had the, one the on one vegetables, where, how they can fix it. Yeah, everything. one on his plant-based diet, the one where he's feeding the pigeon. Um, I talked to this, this guy who, his name's Michael, and he... he he usually reps uh, Slovak rappers. That's kind of how he made his mark over there in Slovakia. And he, he met Zdeno um, on the shoot of a rap video, which I need to f- dig this up. But apparently Chara had some cameo in, a, in this rap video where they're just like toasting champagne in a castle, I think. It was like a quick cut. Um, but now this guy Michael is his, his business manager, um, and he moved over to the States full-time to work with Chara. And a lot of his 
uh, work is with that Instagram feed. And um, it was kind of revealing to me that uh, they talk for like two or three days on every post and like it's planned in advance and Chara like sends them drafts of what he wants the caption to be. And, you know, even as something like as, you know, instant gratification as, as social media, this guy is like approaching it in the same way he approaches everything, which is like very planned out, very thought over. Uh, you know, he's, he's made a lot of changes in his life, uh, you know, from his diet to his workouts, but all of it's like very meticulously researched and he's reading and he's watching documentaries. And, um, it really is no wonder once you, once you're up close and see the process, like why he's, he's managed to endure as long as he has. Listen, you're not the only one that has, uh, that did some research knowing we we're going to talk about something and has some, uh, fun stats to share. Let me give you some hit, Charles ones. Hit me. So, uh, we know that he's 41 years old right now and he's playing 23 minutes a night, but I saw that he's logging 341 per game shorthanded. He gets no, like no power play time. Yeah. Only, only when McAvoy's hurt has he been getting power play time, which is incredible. I don't think he's happy about that, which I, I don't think any player would be happy about that. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean he's he's out there. Yeah, he's first over the boards on every penalty we kill. Um, I wrote about this a little bit. You see that Pittsburgh game at the start of the month where he had the three minute shift on the PK and then fought Alexiak. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And the thing with the advantage of obviously having him out there for that is with his reach and how much ground he can cover. It's basically like I wouldn't say it's even strength, but it's like five on four and a half. Let's say in terms of how yeah, much ground he can cover. It. I, I did notice that. It, it, just watching him up close for a couple of games, he he doesn't actually cover. He can cover a lot of ground, but he doesn't. And mm. I think he's really good at conserving energy. Um, the way they play, it's they kind of play a zone defense, and they let him just kind of patrol the area in front of the crease and right use that long reach to break up passes in the slot. Yeah. Um, he's not required to chase guys in the corner. He's he's doing certainly doing more activating under Bruce Cassidy than I think he did under Julian, but. Um, he's also not, you know, jumping up in the play a heck of a lot. And I think that's, that's why McAvoy has been a very beneficial partner for him. Um, he can just kind of do what he does and, and defend the way he does. And, um, I, I think that's, that's kind of a lot. One other reason why he's been able to play so much, um, is he's very, very smart about conserving his energy. It never looks like, you know, he's, he's going totally out of his way to like go check someone. Um, you know, he's very smart about, you know, how he approaches guys in the corner and when he even leaves his post in front of the net too. Well, what I was thinking about Charo when I was just kind of thinking about the career he's had and all that and how special it's been, you know, we constantly hear how is a copycat league. And sometimes I feel like we can never just sort of appreciate that some of these guys are just sort of once in a generation or just complete freaks that we might not ever see again. We always go like, oh, who's going to be the next so-and-so, right? And I feel like Zidane Chara's career arc and his success, and you mentioned sort of the different stages of it and how he maybe developed a bit later on, has led so many teams and GMs uh, down sort of a dark and dangerous and fruitless path in terms of thinking that you know their uh big defenseman is going to develop a bit later maybe than uh, than other guys and so we're going to stick with them for a while longer and you you see that a lot with a guy like eric branson in vancouver where it's like you know he's 25 26 and it's like oh you know he's still coming around give him time look at how zidane ochara's career turned around and it's like yeah that's maybe zidane ochara's just a special player and we might not see a guy like him ever again I think he's probably just a special player and a special personality, but, um, I mean, when Chara was 24, he was just getting to Ottawa and he was really nothing more than, um, really nothing more than a fighter. Um, I think even in his first year in Ottawa, he was over like 150 penalty minutes too. Um, I mean, and, and 
I, that, that's what stands out to me when you look at the arc of his career is that, um, I mean, going back to his childhood in Slovakia and Czechoslovakia when, you know, pretty much every coach is like, hey, you should maybe like try basketball. Um, oh, that's another little fun little bonus off of this. Um, there was one game, uh, I think it was when Boston was in Philly and the Sixers had a morning shoot around. And I think Golden State was in town. And this is when Chris Mullins was working in like development in their front office. And Chara just kind of moseys out on the court and starts shooting. And Chris Mullen goes up to Peter Shirell and he's like, who the hell is that? Looking at this guy, who you know, probably belongs on a basketball team, at least height-wise. Um, but it turned out he could really ball. Like, he mm. could really hoop in his day. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't have been a bad career path. But um, anyway, he, you know, going back to his childhood and then, you know, he's in New York. And it's, okay, you probably are going to make your life as a fighter and, you know, a 5'6 defenseman. And then in Ottawa, you know, you're a little bit better. Okay, but, but still, you know, we want you to just kind of chip it off the glass, get out and, you know, don't make those plays, like just, just defend. And, um, you know, he, he's really done a, a tremendous job at, I think, kind of reinventing himself or at least adapting to, to how, how we can survive. And that's kind of the story of his, um, his later years too, is that, um, you know, I get in this piece and, um, please go read it on newsstands in like, I don't know, two weeks or something like that. Um, he's put in a ton of work with his skating. Um, and his skating is noticeably better this year than it was the year before and noticeably better the year before than it was the year before that. And, um, you know, he, he is able to keep up. He's, he's, uh, as we said, you know, he's not doing a ton of, of moving around relative to some of the, you know, more fleet footed puck moving defensemen of this era. But, um, at the same time, he's not getting burned. He's not getting, you know, caught out of position or he's not getting caught with bad posture because I mean, it's, it's pretty hard for a guy that size, um, at, at that age. And, uh, it's you know it is remarkable and but it again it, it falls in line with who this guy is and and you know how he how he got to this point in the first place. Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, checking out that piece. Is it going to be online as well or just in uh, just in the magazine? Oh, both. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll throw it up there for you. Oh, there we go. Looking at, but yeah, everyone should get the magazine for sure. Obviously. Um, all right, Alex, plug some stuff other than the Chara thing. Is there anything you're working <laughs> that, on? What uh, what are you going to do? Have you already started thinking about? Uh, postseason coverage or are you going to just bounce around or are you going to go yeah to, you know i'll, I'll hang probably out in vegas you're going to get that assignment? yeah i'll probably be um probably on the east coast for the first couple rounds um you know with the national magazine we generally have to you know try and find a theme that can take off a couple series so we're not just writing about one so that'll allow me to get to get to philly to get to washington to get to pittsburgh to get to jersey assuming they're in mm-hmm. um even columbus is probably like a six-hour drive from me um, so that's totally doable, and then and then as the as the round rounds go on, um, then it becomes a little. The stories tend to, um, I guess, focus a little more on individual players or you know who's playing well. So um, I imagine then I'll be bouncing around a little bit more. Um, I haven't been on the road a heck of a lot this year, so uh, there are definitely some Western Conference cities I'd, I'd love to get to. I haven't been to Winnipeg in a little bit, especially since they got good. Um, love to go there and. You know, got family in the Bay Area, and uh, Nashville's always a rollicking time, too. So I'm um, pretty excited about what this postseason is going to bring. You don't want to come to Vancouver and write about the Canucks? Ooh, come sure. Hang, hang out with your pal, Dimitri? Yeah, yeah, bad Canadian team. That's uh, that's pretty. <laughs> that's exactly what our U.S. subscribers love. <laughs> uh, well, when Rasmus Dahlin comes here, you can come check Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds great. Rasmus Dahlin and the, and the twins. I, yeah. I love the sound of that. Awesome. Well, Alex, I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. It's always fun chatting. And uh, let's get you back on in the postseason when you start writing some of these stories about some of these teams. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll touch, ba- touch base then. Always a pleasure, man. Right. Thanks. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Thank you.